Listen to WGN Radio's newest podcast, Behind the Badge, Illinois, hosted by David Hochberg. Behind the Badge, Illinois, views current events through the eyes of Illinois law enforcement leaders. Tune in. Visit WGNRadio.com slash Behind the Badge. <laughs> yeah, okay. Whatever you say. All right. Are we ready to go there, Reg? All set up. I like where the... Uh... I like where the needles are bouncing. Good spot. Keep it there. All right. Yes, we are. This is the first uh, podcast in our next five-year interval, right? We just completed five years. So here we go. All right. I will give you the uh, this three S's. I'll give you the countdown. You give me the music, and I will give you a podcast. Ready? Put it in the book. Number 262. All right. Star, smile, strong. All right, here we go. Ready? Three, two, one. Hey, it's Elton Jim Toronto, and this is Captain Podtastic. And welcome to another episode of Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. Every Monday, a new episode is posted at WGNRadio.com or wherever you go to find your favorite podcast. We are there. Don't forget, your responsibility as a listener to this podcast is not just to hit play, put your earbuds on, and uh, clean the house, or take a walk, or do some chores. No, no. We put you to work. So don't forget to send a link, send a message to your friends, to your families, to anybody who listens to podcasts. Let them know that your favorite podcast is Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic, and it should be theirs too. Your loyalty, your devotion, and of course, that little extra effort. In the words of Elvis, thank you. Thank you very much. Born on the same day as August, by the way. Don't forget, if you like what you're hearing, I don't know why you wouldn't, although I don't know about this so far. <laughs> Hopefully you're still listening. <laughs> but uh, if you are at all intrigued to listen to what we've talked about in the past, go to WGNRadio.com, go to the podcast section, go to the prompt for this podcast, hit that, and you will find all previous 261 episodes. Which can only mean one thing. Welcome to episode 262. Five years and counting. Thank you to everyone, uh, the listeners, who have uh, sent me emails and Facebook DMs, if you will. Look at me with all the, with all the terminology. LOL. OMG. <laughs> I heard another one the other day. I D K. I don't know. Oh my gosh. You can't write I don't know in an email? I mean, those are relatively small words. I, very small, one letter, don't. Four letters, no. Four letters. Is it that much? 
to 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 type in on your phone or on a computer the 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 the, the simple phrase of I don't know. You even have to abbreviate that. Wow, I mean, you know, I. I it's, it, I just find that hilarious. I, I got that in an email a, a week or so ago. Someone put, I asked a question and they and they just responded, IDK. <laughs> and, I, I, and the funny thing is, I didn't know what IDK meant. <laughs> so, the, wow. Wrap that around your head. How about the existentialism of that? I didn't know that IDK. I-D-K meant I don't know. Ooh. Has your head just been blown as mine was? Wow. my I have a headache right now after that. That is deep. That is uh, that is really deep, Ed. Yeah. Holy smokes. But yeah, I mean, you, you can't write I don't know. I-D-K. OMG is right. Gosh. Anyway. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so we are um, we are here five years later. Thank you so much for those who have, uh, as I said before, DM'd me. I guess that's direct message, right, on Facebook, as well as uh, left some messages on my Facebook page. So thank you very much. I'm glad you are you are and have been enjoying the podcasts or these last five years. I've certainly enjoyed doing them, and. Uh, it was nice to talk with Emily Amanetti um, last week for the fifth anniversary one, as well as a couple weeks ago, too. Mick Kaler, who helped um, me at the very beginning, and hopefully we'll have him on more as well. So that's our little niche here on Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. So I hope you enjoy it. I hope, as I said many times, that it becomes this little, little release for you, this little haven for you, this little escape for you to uh, get away from the pressures and the craziness of the day and just... Um, Sit down and uh, and and listen, and hopefully you get a little information, uh, a little humor, a lot of opinion. <laughs> and as I said, thanks to everyone who's not only been listening, but those who have been listening for five years. I know for sure that one um, super fan and one heck of a nice guy, Craig, uh has been listening and he he wrote me an email and said I have been li- I have listened to every single episode. He said I can say that with confidence. I have listened to every single episode. So wow, that is loyalty and you do get a a special gold star for that. But uh, hopefully there's many of you out there who share that that same title or at least close to it. But uh, I'm pumping them out every week and hopefully they're getting into your tank as well. So thank you, Craig, and thank all the listeners who have been listening to Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic from the first time that we uh, we clicked on, recorded, and posted. It's a different world than radio, but my gosh, five years later, it certainly is much more dominant than it was, and who knows, maybe someday it may just be the dominant audio communication. I love radio, always have, always will. But uh, you certainly can see where uh, individual technology is is really the uh, the wave of the future. Good or bad, we don't know, but it's here, so we got to deal with it. 
And I'm certainly, as I said before, enjoying doing this. It is an interesting and different um, medium. My biggest complaint, as I've, as I've often said, is that I just don't have that immediate kind of contact with you. I record this before. It's posted a couple of days later. I try to make things as timely as possible, but sometimes a few things fall through the cracks. Uh, but for me, I, what I really enjoyed always about radio, uh, being on the radio, is the, uh, is the immediacy of it and the ability to uh, communicate with the audience in real time through phone calls and now through text as well. So at least there is some kind of give and take in the moment. That's what's fun. That, that's what, that's what uh, you know, boils the creative juices. But I've, I found a way to find just as much, well, maybe not just as much, but certainly a good amount of creative uh, excitement in this as well. And the great thing about this, as I've said many times, is that it, it's, it's unvarnished. And it is uh, no commercial, so we can talk about uh, whatever we want as long as we want. And uh, so that's cool. You don't have that in commercial radio, certainly. So there are advantages and disadvantages to to everything. Oh, I also want to mention, and one of the disadvantages that sometimes uh, with this being such a spontaneous kind of jazz-like, hey, man, hey, you cats, um, a jazz-like improvisational medium. Um, uh, I always joke that I have this thing, (laughs) that I have the podcast all, uh, you know, scripted, very scripted. And I always, that's what I love about radio too. And I don't, that's why I don't like having um, cameras in in a radio studio because to me, radio is about the imagination. It's theater of the mind. And to see it being done, I think you lose some of the creativity and the mystery, which I think is the coolest part of radio, because you come to know a personality through their voice, and you can only imagine what they look like and what they're doing. And when you see it, um, yeah, I think initially there's some cool aspect to that, but um, but but then you know the the genie's out of the bottle. The, the trick has been revealed. I always wondered what my favorite DJs looked like, and some of them I never saw in real life and still don't know what they look like. And there's nothing wrong with that. But um, I do have to also have a, a call out to um, a listener named Jim who emailed me this past week. When I was talking about my five-year anniversary and saying about, wow, how things have changed over the last five years and things that... Uh, that were in place when, when I started this podcast, and now here we are in 2021, started in 2016, I said that Donald Trump not only you know, wasn't president yet, because he had not uh, been elected yet, that was in November, this was in May when I started, but I inadvertently said that um, he hadn't even uh, announced for president, which is completely wrong, right? I mean, he, he announced in June, yes, of 2015, not 2016. So I spoke, uh, I misspoke, and Jim, I appreciate that. If you hear a mistake that jumps out at you, don't be afraid to tell me. I will correct it. I will log it in, and I certainly will give you credit. So once again, thanks to Jim for keeping me on my toes. Always looking for that. 
But but I said that that's part of the uh, the improv the improv improv improvisation of this. Uh, a lot of times I'm talking off my head, as much as I like to joke that I have this big thick script here, um, and I do have some notes sometimes that that I just want to make sure I, I make certain points. But a lot of times I will go off on tangents, and oh, I know I I know how you love those tangents. <laughs> and um and I will just you know be going off the top of my head and you know the, the, you know the 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 synapses are firing and I'll certainly make a mistake now and then I try to cut those down to a minimum but when I do them and if you hear them and if they and if they sound like like fingernails screeching on a board to you which they do to me when I hear myself make a mistake or when I see or hear someone else make one uh please uh, call it out. Let me know. Keep me on my toes. So thank you, Jim, for that. And ironically, um, then later in the week, after he corrected me, which I, I have no problems with, I, as I said, I encourage it, on my Facebook page, the same Jim responded to a post I had on my Facebook page, and he made a typo. And so I corrected him. <laughs> Oh, so you know you, you got to love that when you can when someone corrects you, and then within you know a day or two, you can just jump right back at them and correct them. It's all in good fun, but I but I said I, I corrected it, but I said, see, now I found one of your mistakes, and he sent me a little smiley face. So, <laughs> so that is at least some way that we can communicate with one another. The best way, of course, of course, is me speaking to you. And I've uh, been doing that for five years and uh, will continue as long as you're listening. So what I wanted to, you know, the last couple of shows have been a little uh, COVID heavy. Uh, it is what it is. We'll see what it, you know, you, I, I would think by now over the last 14, 15, 16 months, you know where I stand on COVID. I told you I'm going to be wearing my mask for a long time. I've told you what I think. So... Uh, I'm going to lay off on the COVID stuff. You don't want to get too much. People all have their own viewpoints and um, are making up their own decisions. That's fine. But I think it's it's part of our, as I said before, our ongoing dialogue that I at least share with you where I'm coming from. We don't have to agree. We do not have to agree. But we should be able to share our opinions with one another and maybe there's even just an inkling of something that we share with one another that sort of turns our head or turns our ear, maybe changes our mind a little way. There's nothing wrong with sharing opinions. And get this, folks, there's nothing wrong with changing your mind. There's nothing wrong with that either. It's not called flip-flopping. It's called evolving. It's called learning. It's called embracing knowledge, right? So don't be afraid to change your mind. Even though if you've been on uh, you know, on one side of, of an argument, it's okay to get on the other side if you state why. I learned this, this, and this, and based on that, you don't have to always have the same opinions from when you were 12 years old. Hopefully, your your worldview has changed as you have continued to live. That's our goal, to continue to change, to always change, to always learn. So you don't have to be so steadfast in your opinions. You could change your mind. That's okay. So I thought I would not only change. Uh, I've 
no, well, I'm not talking about changing my mind, but I thought I would change the tone of things. And there's you know, there's a lot of things that that I take for granted, and we all do in our own lives, and we just uh, we don't we don't think that they're that odd or potentially amusing or entertaining, but then you take a step back and you go, no, no, that, that is kind of interesting and, and unique. And, 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 and I tend to sometimes in my own life experience, um, I certainly try to catalog when I see things that, that happen to me and, and share them with you on a, on a regular basis. But there's things that, I've, that have happened in my past that uh, I sometimes overlook to share with you not because i don't want to it's just that i I forget that that might be of interest and uh, i thought about something this week and i'm like you know what this is fun this is a cool story and i got to share this on the podcast so i've been telling you um, for most of my life but even especially during the last uh 16 months or so of, of covid i said this about a year or so ago that um I was talking about TV comfort food, if you remember that. And that's another reason why, like Craig and other people who have listened to all previous 261 episodes, although I should mention there is a missing episode, even though the count is 261, there is a missing episode. Many of you may not know that, but several years ago, I inadvertently had a missing episode and we skipped one. And so now that becomes one of the little Easter eggs of the Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. There is a missing episode. I have never posted it yet. Maybe someday I will. Maybe someday I won't. There are 261, but like Craig and others out there, you've only been able to hear 260 of them. But that's just something to file in the back of your head. Maybe someday the missing episode will show up. It is there. And it is missing. It has never been posted. But um, but so I, I thought that this might be fun to share because um, I had taken it for granted. And I mentioned, as I said, uh, I've been watching Andy Griffith as uh, and a lot of the older shows as kind of comfort food. Not so much now. Now we're getting a little more active. But in the throes, in the heavy throes of the sheltering in place during COVID last year, um, you know, we were finding that we were watching television. We were, we were looking for some kinds of, uh, of comfort amidst all the, um, the chaos. And I was watching a lot of Andy Griffith reruns. Now, the funny thing is that over, the, over, over time, I have read stories online of people saying the same thing and even using Andy Griffith as an example of that. So once again, you, you should be listening to this podcast and telling your friends about it because I will, be, I will be shining the light long before many other people do. I pride myself on that. I like to be way ahead of the trends. By the time it's a trend, it's already old news to me. That's, I've always kind of prided myself on that, of being ahead of the curve. Now, I don't know if that, that, that lends something to my overall popularity because by the time something's popular, I'm tired of it. I'm moving on. But if you like to be ahead of the curve, this is your podcast. I will always be pointing things out. And um, so I was watching an episode of Andy Griffith recently, and the, the classic character on the Andy Griffith show, uh, Ernest T. Bass, was on. 
And that is was performed by one of the great comic actors uh, of the 50s and 60s, a guy named Howard Morris. Howard Morris is his name. And uh, if for those of you who are old television aficionados of people that really enjoy or at least know about television's golden era of the 50s when, when things were first starting, Howard Morris was a regular on the Sid Caesar, Your Show of Shows, which is one of the most groundbreaking television shows in history. And you should know about that. If you like television, you need to know its history, its roots, how things today have been influenced by what has happened before. They all have been. And today's comedy, today's uh, sketch comedy, today's sitcom comedy was definitely influenced by your show of shows. Sid Caesar, some may have heard of him, some may not. Look him up. We have Google. You can look up anything today in two seconds. You don't have to go to the library and wait for the uh, Encyclopedia Britannica uh, if somebody's reading it to wait till they're done. There's no excuse for you not to learn about history because it's all in that damn machine. Two seconds, a couple of keystrokes. You can find out anything. Use the darn thing. Your show of shows, Sid Caesar, not only uh, with performers like Sid Caesar and one of his uh, his female co-stars, Emma Jean Coco, were, uh, were, were groundbreaking in live sketch comedy on television in the 50s, uh, but many... Other supporting people like Carl Reiner, who went on to create the Dick Van Dyke show, who went on to direct many Steve Martin movies, who went on to create Rob Reiner, <laughs> his son, who not only was on All in the Family, but has been the director of some many uh, memorable movies, Princess Bride, obviously, and Few Good Men, and, and many others, Stand By Me. Uh, so Carl Reiner was a writer and a performer. Mel Brooks, the great Mel Brooks was a writer, and that's how he met Carl Reiner. And they did their fa- their famous 2,000-year-old man skit. And then Mel Brooks has obviously gone on to make some of the funniest movies in, in Hollywood history, Young Frankenstein, Blazing Saddles. So, um, and then he did The Producers on Broadway and still has won the most Tony Awards of any show. So uh, Woody Allen later wrote for Sid Caesar. On his own show. Neil Simon wrote for your show of shows. One of the greatest uh, playwrights in our history. So your show of shows, not only in its own right, was a, was a major uh, program of its day and has been a major influential show to this day, but it also spawned so much creative and comedic talent that went on over the next 50 years to dominate our culture. Woody Allen, Neil Simon, Carl Reiner, Mel Brooks, Larry Gelbart. If you watch uh, MASH, if you enjoy MASH, Larry Gelbart, you'll see his name on that in that yellow font, that yellow army-like font that they use on MASH. Larry Gelbart also wrote on your show of shows. So, so many uh, performers and writers were born out of your show of shows. What are the first television shows at all? It at all in, 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 you know, that was on at the beginning. And then it was 
just a, a magnet and a breeding ground for some of the great comedic talent that dominated the rest of the century. And Howard Morris was one of those people. You can go online, you can go on YouTube and look up your show of shows. There's a great skit, in fact, where Howard Morris really shows his, uh, his talent. Now, he was very talented. He was, a, he was a physical comedian. He did a lot of voices. He did a lot of characters. Good actor, able to, to just slip into all different types. You have to be for that if you're going to be an improv kind of comedian. And, and in sketch comedy, you have to be able to, to, to do it all. And he could. There's a great sketch. I'm sure it's on, on, on YouTube. Uh, from your show of shows, uh, you, it was a takeoff on This Is Your Life, which used to be a show on television, a very popular show, where they would choose a celebrity or even a regular person, and they would bring back people. They would, they would go back over that person's life, whoever the, the, um, the subject was. And uh, there's a guy named Ralph Edwards. He was the, he was the, um, the host. He would have this big book like it was their, their life story. And they would bring people from the, the, the subject's past, like their first great teacher and their first friend and their first girlfriend and their first boss, anybody that was kind of a key person in that person's life. And that was the whole idea. This is your life. And they would run down the person's life. And many times they would use celebrities, obviously. So there was a, a, a takeoff on that. This is your life uh, sketch on your show of shows where Sid Caesar was the subject. Carl Reiner was the host and they were bringing out people from, um, Carl, you know, from Sid Caesar's past as his character in this is your life. And Howard Morris is one of those people who comes out as one of his, I believe it's his cousin. And it is hilarious what he does. And you could see all of this stuff. Most of this is all being done in the moment this could you could not have scripted this what howard morris is doing physically in this sketch and i would urge you to go to youtube i would sure you just punch in you know your show of shows this is your life sketch and it will come up if you don't laugh at that then i don't know what you're laughing at but uh but howard morris certainly made his his mark on your show of shows and later which many people don't know if you watched andy griffith um and howard morris showed up on a lot of shows throughout the 60s and 70s, a lot of, a lot of shows in the 60s, as sometimes just one character, one time, or whatever. But if you, I'm someone who always watches and reads the credits of television shows, of movies, on albums. I'll read the liner notes. I'll read the credit notes. I like to know who was involved. And it's so interesting to see the creative uh, people behind the scenes. And sometimes you will find that those people behind the scenes oftentimes were people who were known in front of the camera or in front of the mic, and then they went and they went into other aspects. So if you watch the Andy Griffith show with any regularity, watch, watch the credits roll. You will see Howard Morris's name as the director of many episodes, some of the classic Andy Griffith episodes. Howard Morris directed them in addition to um, playing Ernest T. Bass, which became one of the more fun, frequent characters to pop up. I'm sure that was kind of a one-shot deal that uh, that he was cast as that kind of uh, crazy, um, uh, lunatic, uh, rock-throwing uh, guy from the woods, Ernest T. Bass. It's me, it's me, it's Ernest T. 
And uh, and I'm sure once they did it one time, the writers were like, okay, well, this is a character that has to come back. But uh, Howard Morris not only starred as Ernest T. Bass, who not only directed many of the episodes on the Andy Griffith Show, but then if you listen, a lot of the voiceovers for different types of things within the show is Howard Morris. A lot of times Andy and Barney will turn on the radio and listen to something on the radio. And it's Howard Morris doing a different voice as the announcer. It's Howard Morris being a Leonard Blush, who was a radio singer who Andy and Barney used to listen to. So once again, I, that's what I enjoy so much about watching TV shows. I, I, I take, I, I, I take an, a lot of close attention, and you can hear. I'm like, oh, well, there's Howard Morris. That's Howard Morris's voice. So and then he's even played other characters on the show which I always thought was strange but they didn't seem to have a, a problem with that in the 50s and 60s of of having the same people just put on a pair of glasses and and a wig or something and be a different character. Nowadays we would we would rarely do that because of the realism that we seem to um demand. But back in those days they're like, "Oh yeah, just put a wig on the guy." <laughs> it's like, "But wait a minute, that's Ernest T. Bass." But there is an episode where on Andy Griffith where Barney uh, tells uh, Andy and Helen, uh, Andy's girlfriend, that he will do all their chores that they have to do um, so that those two can just get away for a day. He's making Saturday a gift to them. And so Barney says, I'm going to do all of your chores. Helen, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to grade your papers. Andy, I'm going to take Aunt B to the store and do something with Opie. I'm going to, I'm going to clean your slate. Whatever you guys have to do, on Saturday, I'm going to do it so you two can just get away, birds and the bees, you know, commune with nature. And so, of course, it doesn't turn out that way, and Barney is constantly um, interrupting them. But one of the things he interrupts them for is that uh, Helen's TV is on the fritz, and so she, she was supposed to wait for the TV repairman to come. And so Barney feels that the... Uh, the TV repairman um, is not uh, is not giving her a fair shake on this deal. Like he's going to have to bring it into the shop, so he brings the TV repairman out to uh, Helen and Andy, who are out by the lake, just trying to be alone and and just uh, have a little uh, you know quality time. And he continues to bother them. That's the joke of the show. And so one of this one of these moments, Barney brings the TV repairman to tell. Helen Crump, what's wrong with the TV, and she can decide whether she wants him to take it into the shop or not. And of course, she goes, hey, I don't know anything about televisions. Barney, just let him take it. But the funny thing is, the TV repairman, George, is Howard Morris. Now, Andy and Barney have to know that George, the TV repairman, looks a lot like Ernest T. Bass. (laughs) In fact, he even talks a little like Ernest T. Bass in that naval voice. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, the sheriff seems a little, uh, a little, a little angry, Barney. You know, I mean, he's he's trying to change his voice a little, but you know, Howard Morris sort of has that kind of a little nasal voice anyway. So many of his voices—that's why you can always kind of kind of tell uh, because he he has kind of a distinct voice of his own. So even when he kind of tries to um, disguise it, you can still tell. So Howard Morris, major player on the uh, Andy Griffith Show, whether you know it or not. Much more than just Ernest T. Bass, those few episodes that he did. 
He directed many of the episodes. He appeared as other characters on the episodes. And he even did voiceovers for characters that were never seen on that show. So you say, Jim, okay, why are you giving us a whole history of, uh, <laughs> of Howard Morris? Well, I'll tell you. So back in the uh, late 80s, one of my first full-time jobs after graduation in the media was I was the managing editor for a magazine. And the magazine was called Video Marketplace. And it was a national magazine. And this was right at the beginning when video cassettes were beginning to take off. And this magazine was, was kind of half editorial, but it also was a mail order catalog to order videos from. Now, this may sound crazy in 2021. But in 1987 and 88 and 89, as the video recorder was really beginning now to take hold, it wasn't easy to get videos. You could there were you know, there were some videos that you could always buy at the stores, but suddenly because there were there was such a demand for VCR video cassettes in the 80s to watch all type not just not just record from your television but to watch pre-recorded movies but not just the new ones the new ones were available of course and, and there were massive ones and we would actually go i mean i know this all sounds like 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 prehistoric times because we have so much access today at the at our fingertips as i said earlier this computer having a computer in, in your hand in your pocket now as well as your laptop or even a desktop, but even in your hand, you younger people they can't even imagine the access that they have. They think this is this is commonplace, but those of you who are a little older will remember we didn't have that kind of access, and we had to actually go and find buy things and go out to a store. And there are some things that we couldn't even get today. There's almost nothing that you can't find somewhere. We a lot of times there it just wasn't available. You couldn't find it. There was only X amount of avenues for you to find something. So as the video cassette VCR craze began to take hold, not only were people looking to look at uh, watch the current movies that were available, you can go to Blockbuster and rent them. We used to go to a store, folks. We used to wait in a line. There were times when you would go to a a, a video store and want to watch a movie that Saturday night, and it was out. You couldn't watch it, so you had to find something else. That is a, I mean, that is, that's unheard of today. We have access and on demand to almost anything we want with a couple of keystrokes or a couple of clicks on our remote control. We don't even understand what that means, that we can't watch it. We, they didn't have it. It was all. It was. It was. All the copies were taken out. But that was the reality. You know, thirty-five years ago, you would go to a video store, whether it was a big place like Blockbuster, which are gone now, which was the key place to go rent a video for four dollars a night, or you would go to a mom and pop place, an independently owned one, and a lot of times those would have some of the harder ones to find because that was kind of their niche. 
So the studios were, were trying to pump out and put as much product out as possible, old movies as well as, as newer movies, to feed the hunger. Suddenly, you know, through the VCR, we had the ability to watch any movie we wanted. Here's another thing. Before the VCR in the mid-'80s, when it became commonplace, you couldn't watch an old movie unless it was on television, on the Late 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 Show. You couldn't just say, I want to watch Casablanca tonight. You couldn't just say, I want to watch whatever, whatever movie. You couldn't, just, you couldn't do that. You waited for what's on tonight. What is somebody at the TV station deciding that I'm going to watch tonight? That's how crazy it was. We have so much individual freedom today. We don't even realize how much freedom and of choice we have. When only 35 or 40 years ago, our choices were so limited and we accepted it. In my day, we couldn't just watch any movie we wanted. We had to wait until it was on TV and we liked it. We loved it. But that's the way it was. And so a lot of older movies, as I said before, and then TV shows, old TV shows, as I said, the studios were anybody who owned any of the rights to this old programming realized that there was a there was a lot of money to be made because now people are like, geez, I've always wanted to see this. I've always wanted to see that at my leisure, not until not waiting for some TV programmer to decide to play that movie. Now I could watch it anytime I want. So there was a lot of product out, but it wasn't always readily available. It wasn't easy to find because the big places like a blockbuster, they just were, were trying to feed what was popular at the moment. That's where most people go. What was what is new? But there's a there's a big group, as as as, as we soon learned that that liked to find offbeat things and not just the coolest things of the day. But offbeat things or things from the past, and so this uh, this magazine called Video Marketplace was a editorial magazine, but then also it was a catalog where you can mail, you can send away for videos. So it was it was it was kind of a, a two pronged thing. So I was the managing editor of this, and I wrote many of the stories as well, and so. As I'm saying, a lot of old TV shows, as video cassettes became popular, not only was it movies that people were, old movies that people were were dying to see, but people were also wanting to see uncut versions, or once again, at their leisure, some of their favorite TV shows from the past, as well as the, as the current ones too. Then those, then those became available on uh, on video cassette, but so it became a huge market of this retro vintage stuff that was coming out on video cassette as well. So then all of a sudden there were box sets of the twilight zone and the Dick Van Dyke show and the honeymooners and all these, you know, shows your show of shows, the Milton Burrow show, all these types of shows. So, so it was a big deal that, and don't forget many of the syndicated um, shows that we see today, the reruns of shows like even now Seinfeld or, Dick Van Dyke or Andy Griffith or anything that you see, older shows, even The Office, many times they are edited. You're not seeing the the whole episode because when they were official, when they were originally aired, there were less commercials. 
But now when they're on the secondary stations, those stations throw in more commercials because they don't get as much as the networks do on, if, per commercial. So they throw in more commercials in that half-hour period of time. So oftentimes what you're seeing when you watch a version of the Andy Griffith show or the Dick Van Dyke show or the Odd Couple or any show from the, the 50s or 60s or 70s or even the 80s or the 90s or even you know recently, there will be more commercials and there will be very sometimes slight, sometimes major edits. So you're not seeing the whole show. So what was great about the VCR at that time, and now even when DVD versions or whatever, is you can see the, the full, un, even now on streams, you can see the full uncut version of way, the, the original version. So that is a reason why you should go back and watch some of these shows that you even like on, uh, on the stream. You say, well, it's, always, it's already on TV. No, no, go back and, and stream those because you will see the full uncut versions. And there will be scenes that maybe you have never seen before or scenes that you forgot that have been edited out. And you go, oh, my gosh, where's the? Oh, I, I remember this scene now, if you know the shows very well. So in, I believe it was probably 1988 or so, 88 or 89, the Andy Griffith show was going to be released on video. And this was a big deal. One of the... Classic, most popular shows, not only in its time, Andy Griffith Show was always number one, but is 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 rarely been off the air since it went off the air in the late sixties. And and many times it's on two or three times a day on the same stations or on different stations. There I mean, I think you can almost watch Andy Griffith twenty four hours a day right now if you if you timed it right. I know on the Sundance channel, it's on it starts at like five in the morning and sometimes goes till noon. And then I know on uh, TV land, it starts at 3 in the afternoon and goes till 7. So you can almost watch a full day of Andy Griffith if you want to. But anyway, when it was coming out on video, this was a big deal in the video cassette world. So um, we were going to do a story about the release of this. And so uh, being the, the the good reporter and the good editor and uh, you know, I, I certainly would wanted to talk to Andy Griffith or Don Knotts, some of the, the, the you know the key principles in this show. But of course, you know, they did very few interviews, and if they did, it was only with the major publications. And so I understood that. So then I said to myself, "Well, I still want to to make this story come alive. I mean, I just don't want to report on it. I'd like to get some insider view if someone was there." I said, "Well, let me see who might be easier to talk to." somebody that maybe has not been in the public eye as much, who might be very willing and, and excited to be interviewed to talk about the work they did on The Andy Griffith Show. And so I said, you know, I've always been a fan of Howard Morris, and I've always loved Ernest T. Bass. So let me see if I could track down Howard Morris, and maybe he'll like to, uh, he'll be open to an interview, and he can, and he, certainly the fact that he directed the show and, and played such a major role in it is actually... A really good interview. He can actually maybe provide some interesting insights that we didn't know because he was so involved both in front of the screen as well as behind the screen. Now, I should say as a, as a little postscript, I was very fortunate uh, back in the early 90s then 
and I still consider it one of the, the coolest things. I got a chance to meet Andy Griffith and Don Knotts and Goober and Gomer and Ron Howard uh, at a special. Uh, they were being inducted at Disneyland into the, the like some kind of Hall of Fame, and they were all there. And I got a chance to talk to Andy and Barney, and I got, you know, I've got their autograph. Back, this was long before cell phones and with cameras. We did get some pictures, but it was pouring rain, so it's a kind of a funny picture. I'm, I'm drenched with an umbrella talking to Andy Griffith. Um, but Andy really had, a, I, I, you know, I, I, I knew the show so well that we, we bonded. In fact, when I was talking to Andy and asking him a few questions, another reporter asked a question, and he just said, wait a minute, I'm, I'm speaking to this gentleman. And I was like, how cool is that? Me and Ange bonding and uh so it was cool but so i didn't get a chance to talk to him at this point back in the early eight in the late 80s for this story but i did get a chance to meet andy griffith and it was really one of the um the highlights of my professional and personal you know professional career and personal life because uh, i have just been such a fan of that show since i can remember never saw it really when it first aired i was too young for that but it was it's always been on reruns and i grew up watching that show on reruns in the early 70s as a little kid and i can i can there was one time my wife i blew my wife away here one of my favorite episodes of the andy griffith show is a play is, a, is an episode called the case of the punch of the nose and there's a great floyd the barber episode where there's different conflicting stories about an incident that happened where Floyd supposedly Floyd the Biber supposedly punched uh, the the town's butcher, and uh, and they got arrested. And it's a fu- really funny episode. Some classic Floyd scenes, and it's always on. You know, I mean, like I said, the Andy Griffith show is on so much. So I so now it's become a running joke in my house. Whenever I go on the program, guy, when I see a case of the punch of the nose is going to be on, I always record it. And then when we sit down to watch television, I sneak it on, and my wife just rolls her eyes. She likes Andy Griffith, okay, but not certainly as much as I do. But this case of the punch in the nose is on so often. And uh, so now it's become a running joke. I, every time I will just all of a sudden hit play, and, and she'll see it. And I don't, even, I don't even have it saved. I wait, and I say, nope, it was on today. She's like, but it was just on. I'm like, I know, but it was on another station before. <laughs> And to the point where I was joking, I said, you know, I know that episode so well that I think I can recite it from the beginning. And I can do this with the Honeymooners as well. But I went into about the first 15 minutes doing all the dialogue of all the characters. And finally she said, okay, stop. (laughs) Announcing their coming nuptials. Isn't life funny? But um, so anyway, um, I'm like, well, let me track down Howard Morris for this story for Video Marketplace uh, for the release of the Andy Griffith show for the first time on video cassette. And sure enough, being the bulldog reporter that I was, I, I was able to find some contacts and things like that. And I found um, Howard Morris's agent. And now, you know, so now I remember Howard Morris, you know, has been around forever at this point in the late 80s. He's an older man, right? He's got to be in his, I would assume he's in his 70s. Uh, 
Um, and it's been a long time since he's been on television. Um, he was probably in, well, I, I would say he was probably in his in his early, uh, well, maybe late sixties, early seventies. Now that I think about it, I mean, you know, I mean, you know, if he was in his thirties and the fifties, yeah, he was probably in his late sixties, early seventies. But it had been a while since he had been a regular on television, certainly. And um, so I called his agent. And I called, and he was like, it was exactly what you'd want from like an old-time movie star or TV agent. He, he fit the role on the phone. I never met him, obviously, but he was on the phone. So I called him up, and I said, you know, I'd like to speak to him. And he's like, oh, uh, you want to talk to Howie? Well, here's his phone number. And I said, well, wait a minute. I said, you know, can you, you know, perhaps call him first and just let him know that I'm going to call him? He said, no, don't even worry about it. Just here's the phone number. Give Howie a call. Tell him you talk to me and it'll be fine. And, you know, he's like, Bubba, don't worry. What that you you're worried about? I love Howie. Howie, don't Howie will love you. Don't worry about it. Just call Howie up. For the fact that he called him Howie, I thought was funny because I'm calling him Howard Morris. You know, Howie, yo, you want to talk to Howie? Sure, no one wants to talk to Howie these days. Go ahead, call him up. Don't worry about it. He's at home waiting for the phone to ring. You know, it's kind of the way he was. <laughs> so um, I felt very strange because usually in the media world, what you do to talk to any kind of celebrity, especially is you do go through uh, their handlers. And you may go through two or three levels of, of these people before the interview is set up and you actually speak to them. So you make that first contact and you explain what you want to do and what media outlet you're with, and then they, they decide whether you're worthy of this person's time based on uh, you know, the, the size of the of your uh, outlet, your publication, or your TV station. Obviously, they, they want to uh, talk to the, um, the outlets that have the biggest amount of audiences. But sometimes they're just looking to blanket the, the, the media with as much coverage as they can get. So sometimes there will be very select interviews that, as you'll see, sometimes a celebrity will only speak to one person or a couple of different places, or even you see today when they go on the late night talk shows, you know, they'll do one or the other. They won't do all of them. Or sometimes you'll see, oh, you know, there's a magazine article that just appeared in one magazine. But sometimes you'll see that person all over the place on all the TV talk shows, in several magazines and newspapers, uh, on the radio. You see them, they just blanket it. And so when that happens, if there's a, 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 some kind of a project they really want to get the word out, then if you don't work for one of the major media outlets, you have a good chance of getting an interview. And what was nice about this video marketplace is that we are a, a publication that deals with the video buying public, right? In fact, they can buy them in our magazine. So it's a captive audience. So to get an interview, I'm talking about this new release of The Andy Griffith Show, for our magazine, if you're a, a media person who's handling a celebrity, you say, well, this is not a bad, it may not be the best known thing, but it certainly has a very captive audience of the people that may go out and buy this video cassette." So I tracked down Howard Morris's agent, and he gives me his home phone number, home phone number. 
and says, call Howie. Just tell him that you spoke to me. It'll be no problem. So <laughs> I feel a little weird about this because usually they're all set up. Okay, you'll call this person on Tuesday at 10 o'clock. Here's the phone number. Sometimes they won't even give the phone number out. They ask for your phone number, and the celebrity will call you because they don't want to give that number out. But this guy just freely gave Howard for Howard Morris's phone number out to me without any question. Didn't even want to say, you know what, I'll call Howie. I'll let him know you're going to call. He said, no, just call Howie. Don't worry about it. He'll love to talk to you. So I hung up the phone, and I really had a journalistic and moral dilemma in front of me because this is not the way it's done. It was not professionally. I mean, nowadays there are no ethics in media. Very few people are even schooled in it because, you know, between with blogs and online, I mean, there's very few journalistic standards, sadly, which accounts for a lot of the mess we're in today because anybody could just print anything without any kind of validation or verification or sources or credible sources, whether it's a it's been verified or whether it's rumor. I mean, that's why we're in the shape we're in today. Sadly, journalism has, has really been just diluted to the point of it almost, you know, aside from newspapers, maybe hardly even, and even they are rushing to get to stories before they really should online. So sadly, but that's another conversation, <laughs> which I'm sure we'll have. Uh, but I did at this time, there were still were some journalistic standards that I was that I was trained in and and adhered to and still feel uh responsible. And so I was kind of caught. I was like, well, you know, I mean I feel I don't feel totally comfortable calling this guy up at home out of the blue because you might think who who is this crazy guy? So how did he get my number and just hang up on me? Or um I mean, I have this opportunity now to make this story better than it can be by talking to Howard Morris. And I have his number and I have his okay by his agent. So do I do I cross this line, which I think is is not the best? Do I bend the rules for the sake of my story? You know, sometimes that, that's what reporters do. I'm like, okay, well, I'm gonna, I, I decided after I went back and forth for about a half hour, I was really torn by this. But I also said, you know, I really want to get I want to make this story good because it's, it's important to me. I love the Andy Griffith show, so I want, to, I want to write a good story. And I want to write a story that is really, that if a fan reads it, goes, wow, this is, this is a fan wrote this, and I can really relate to this. And I'm sure that people would like to hear some insights from someone connected to the show, like Howard Morris, Ernest T. Bass, one of the most famous characters on that show. So I decided to bend the rules, and I'm like, okay, when I, when I call, I'm going to right off the bat put the disclaimer, I spoke to your agent. He said it was okay. If this is not convenient for you, I understand. Thank you for your time, or if you want to, if you want to think about it and we can set up a time together, that's fine. So that's the way I was going to approach it. I wasn't just going to say, hey, I'm... I'm I'm calling you, he told me, and, he, and I'm, and I'm going to just bombard you now and, and ambush you. I thought, okay, let me make the best of this and still be professional about it, even though we weren't following the, at that time, common course for this. So that's how I was going to handle it. So 
I'm in my office and I, I dial him up and the phone rings and hello. And I said, can I speak with Howard Morris, please? He says, uh, well, can I ask who's calling? And I said, well, my name is Jim Toronto. I'm with uh, Video Marketplace Magazine. I spoke to your agent. I can't even remember his name now. And he uh, told me that it would be okay to call you. I'm doing a story about the Andy Griffith Show being, uh, you know, released on video cassette uh, in a couple, you know, next month or so. And I'm doing a story on it. And I thought you would be a great source since you were so uh, involved in it, uh, you know, behind the scenes as well as on screen as Ernest T. Bass to provide some insight to really make this story something fun and interesting and informative. And he said, he kind of stopped for a second and he said, and I said, if it's not good time now, we, you know, we can, we can call back later, but I just wanted to make this contact because I really would like to talk to you. He said, no, no, I've got some time. And so we started to talk and he was very forthcoming and um, he was, was sharing some fun stories and we were talking for about maybe five or 10 minutes and we were getting a nice little rapport going and a nice little conversation going. But I could also tell on the other side that he seemed a little distracted at times. And I didn't know, you know, I mean, he was, I didn't know how old he was at the time. I should go back and look that up as I can, because I can go on Google right now and see how old he was in 1988. He has passed away. But, uh, you know, he just seemed a little, he seemed a little distracted. And I guess I, I accept that to some extent, because I mean, this guy's just calling out of the blue. Who the heck is this guy? So I was trying to make him feel comfortable and feel like, okay, you know, I'm I'm legit. And so we started to have a nice little conversation and build a little rapport, a little confidence. But I also could feel that he was a little distracted at times. There was a lot of breaks in his answers and there was some silence sometimes after I asked a question. But once again, I I figure well that's just him. Well, in the midst of our conversation, he is answering my question, right? In a very calm, normal tone. And then suddenly, out of the blue, he says, like, for instance, he would be saying, yeah, so then one, this one episode with Andy Griffith, I told Andy, and all of a sudden, so I'm just going to do it for you, pretend I'm Howard Morris. So yes, oh yes, that's a, that episode I really enjoyed. In fact, I directed that episode. And one time in that episode, I remember Andy tried to, where are you going? Where are you going? And I was like, what the heck is that? And then I hear a voice screaming from him in the background. And I hear this voice, a woman's voice say, I can't take it anymore. Where will you go? You can't leave me. I can't take it anymore. I've got to leave. Where will you go? And so clearly, you know, I called this guy out of the blue at his home, and clearly there was some domestic, you know, situation happening between him and either his wife or his companion that was was serious. This woman was basically telling Howard Morris while I'm on the phone with him that she was leaving him, or certainly... I don't know, they were having a fight of some sort, but she was definitely leaving the house. And so for a good five minutes now, I'm on the phone and all I'm hearing is, you can't leave me. Where will you go? 
What will you do? He's screaming at the top of his lungs and he's screaming in desperation and she's crying and they're going back and forth and this is all he's saying. You can't go. You can't go. And she's saying, I have to go. I have to go. Well, finally, after five minutes, I felt so uncomfortable. I just hung up the phone. I'm like, you know what? I should not be listening to this. And I knew I was wrong for calling this guy. I listened to this agent. This was not the right thing to do. I should have waited. I should have told him, no, I'm not going to call him. Please call him first. Clearly, Howard Morris would have said, they were probably in the middle of an argument, they probably would have said, look, it's not a good time now. Have him call me tomorrow or something like that. So I should have stuck to my guns with the agent. That was my first mistake. But he was so, oh, don't worry about it. Howie will love you. Call Howie. Call Howie. So... But I knew it was wrong. I I bent the rules. I tried to do it the best I could by bending the rules. And so I just hung up the phone because I'm like, this is not right. I should not be listening to to this conversation. And my heart was beating. It was it was it was nerving to hear this. It was sad and it was scary. And and I you know and I mean my gosh you know he's lucky that I wasn't a reporter for the National Enquirer. I don't know if that would have made big big print that you know, former TV star Howard Morris has a fight with his wife, but I certainly was privy to something that no one else knew. (laughs) And obviously I didn't use this. So I hung up the phone and I was just like, wow, what, what was that? And I mean, I didn't really get enough. I got a few quotes from him that I could use for the story, but I was more just shaken by what I had heard. And, and I felt very bad that I was privy to that because that was obviously a very personal inf- a situation that I should not have been a part of. So, I, you know, uh, I called back uh, about maybe a half hour later because I wanted to apologize. And so I said, Mr. Morris, I'm so sorry. I said, I don't know if you remember, I was on the phone with you. He said, uh, no, I, I'm sorry, you know, I, I, you know. And then as he's apologizing, he goes, where will you go? And he starts again. <laughs> so I hung up again. <laughs> and now I'm like, okay, I'm done. I'm finished. I, I, I'm, I'm done. I, 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 let me write the story. You know, if I can't find anybody, I'll try to find Arnold, you know, uh, you know, one of Opie's friends from the color episodes, or I'll see if I can find Howard Sprague somewhere. But I can't continue with this. There's there's too much going on at the Howard Morris residence. So about an hour goes by, and I've now kind of, you know, (laughs) just finally calmed down and, you know, kind of laughing to myself, but also also feeling, as I said before, very bad that I that I was privy to that because I shouldn't have been. The my phone now in my office rings, and the receptionist says, Jim. You have a call. I said, oh, who is it? She goes, Howard Morris. Howard Morris. How did he get my number? This is the day before. These are days before, you know, uh, caller ID. So he must have called his agent because I called his agent and gave him my name and phone number. So he must have called his agent and said, hey, you know, this guy called me and I had this fight. I mean, I, I, so he must have felt bad too that I heard that. And he, uh, and he probably wanted to mend, you know, this too, because now he's afraid that 
this could get out to the press, right? I mean, I, I don't know if that would have been big news, as I said before, but certainly, I mean, I'm, I'm not that kind of a, a reporter. I'm not some kind of sleaze reporter, but he doesn't know that. So clearly, he probably called his agent and said, hey, do you have a, a contact for this guy? Because, you know, blah, 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 blah. So he calls me back. So now I'm nervous. I was first nervous of what I heard, what happened. Now I'm nervous because I don't know if, what he's going to say to me. Is he going to yell at me? Is he going to say, you know, where did you come? And I don't know what is going to be on the other end of that phone. He's clearly upset. And I don't know if he's going to take it out on me. And he sort of had some of a right because I did call him out of the blue, right? Even though I was told to call him. So I was kind of off and kind of not. And I tried to do whatever I, I could at the beginning to make that situation as professional as possible. But it is what it is. I heard what I heard. So I didn't know what to expect when I pick up that phone. So I pick up the phone and I, I say, hello. And he says, uh, hi, Jim. This is Howard Morris. I said, oh, I said, Mr. Morris. I said, uh, you know, once again, I sincerely apologize for for that situation. Uh, you know, I wanted to, 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 to have your agent call me before. He told me it would be okay to call you. I went over that again. I said, but, you know, I, I felt so uncomfortable uh, after hearing what was going on, I just felt like it was best for me to hang up and not, uh, you know, be privy to that. And he goes, no, I appreciate that very much. He said, um, uh, you know, unfortunately you heard what you heard and, uh, you know, we, we, the, we've, we've had some, you know, kind of a spat here, but, uh, you know, things have calmed down and I just, I felt bad. I, he said that I, that he felt bad that that happened and that I had to hear that. And so he would be happy to talk to me. And so we wound up having a, like an hour conversation and he told me a lot of great stories. I put them into the story. I was very happy with the story. I still have it. I have all my old issues of everything I've written. And, um, I did not mention at all what happened in the story. That, uh, that wasn't why I called and I didn't think it was my, um, you know, right or, uh, to, to, to print that because I, I should not have been privy to that. But whenever I, and he was, couldn't be the nicest. He couldn't have been nicer. He was clearly conciliatory and, and very calm. And, um, and he was very open and it was, it was really a, a great interview a great. Uh, and he did give me some nice insights, but now I will always remember that story. And every time I watch Andy Griffith, Every time I do watch, every so often it's on television, some places, some episodes of your show of shows or some clips are on on some shows about Carl Reiner or Mel Brooks in their early days and they'll, or Sid Caesar, and they will show these clips and there's Howard Morris. As much as I always respect his talent and he makes me laugh, I can't help but just remember of all the voices I've heard Howard Morris do, the one voice I will always remember, it's not Ernest T. Bass. It's not Howard Blush or Leonard Blush. The The voice I will always remember by Howard Morris is, Where are you going? What will you do? And so ends another episode of Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. Every Monday a new episode is posted at WGNRadio.com. Or we are found wherever you go to find your favorite podcasts. We are there. Don't forget to tell your friends, tell your family, send them a link, send them a message that your favorite podcast is Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic, and it should be theirs too. 
Your loyalty and devotion and that little extra effort is most appreciated. Hope you've enjoyed episode number 262. I'm Jim Toronto. I ain't here on business. I'm only here for fun. You've been listening to Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic from the end of the web to your screen. It's me, it's me, it's Ernest T.